So Jesus, we ask that through your word you would help us to have strength in your joy, the joy that you give. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good to see all of you here, those of you on the podcast as well. Welcome here. Back in 2001, the comedian Mel Brooks did a a musical called The Producers, and some of you have maybe seen this show. It's kind of a funny show about two producers who discover that they can make more money on a flop than they can on a hit. So they go about trying to find and produce the worst play ever called Springtime for Hitler, which they figure is in such poor taste it will absolutely fail. So, for instance, in one song, Hitler tap dances around the stage singing Heil Myself, which is sort of odd and offensive, and, but also kind of defiant and subversive because, you see, Mel Brooks was Jewish. I think part of what he was getting at in that show is that there could be ha- perhaps be no greater revenge on Hitler than to laugh at him. Because to fear or even hate him is to take him seriously, which, of course, is what every tyrant wants. Now, that doesn't, not that, you know, we laugh at the pain that tyrants cause, of course not. Uh, And not that satire is our only response, but once, Brooks understood, once you begin to laugh at them, it sort of takes away the illusion of invincibility, which they use to intimidate people, and that's how they hang on to power. Once that's gone, they're easier to overthrow. So Brooks was basically saying, Hitler, I will not even grant you the power to, to you to make me hate you. I will turn you into a punchline. I remember once hearing a news report about a woman from Indiana who claimed that the ghost of Hitler was living in a refrigerator, which is this sort of comic image, and that whenever she would open it up, he would start talking to her in German, telling her to marshal the troops and go off to war. Now, I'm sure that's not true, but it would be kind of funny and kind of fitting if this tyrant who tried to conquer the world ended up stuck in a refrigerator behind the pickle jar somewhere in Terre Haute, right? Like that would sort of cut him down to size. And this is something every dictator understands. Kim Jong-un of North Korea, dictator of North Korea, right? He gets this very well. That's why a silly little movie called The Interview that makes fun of him scares him so much he threatens war to stop it. Little insecure, are we, Mr. Dictator? Every dictator fears celebration and joy. You know who else fears it? The devil. And that's part of what's going on in the story we just read from Nehemiah. Now, the background is this. The Jews were conquered by Babylon and taken into exile for 70 years. But then when Babylon fell, they were returned to Jerusalem. But the thing had been burned to the ground, so there was nothing but rubble. So they set about rebuilding it. And when they get the wall, the first part finished, the priest Ezra reads from the book of the law, that was the Bible, and he comments on it for six hours. Six hours of preaching. This is one of the best verses in the Bible. Like, how long should a sermon be? Six hours. This is just a biblical teaching, okay? So then the people start to cry. (laughs) You're like, well, yeah, obviously, it's a six-hour sermon, right? No, no, no. It's because they realize how they've ignored God and ruined their lives because of it. So their leader, Nehemiah, it's interesting. He doesn't say, yeah, yeah, you should cry, you sinners. Instead, he says this interesting thing. Do not mourn or weep. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared because... God calls us to care for the poor and the oppressed. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Literally, the Hebrew there means the exhilaration of Yahweh is the stronghold of you. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and to celebrate with great joy. Love the way the King James puts it. it. They made great mirth. Like not ordinary mirth, just great mirth. 
And this echoes an earlier command where God tells the Israelites to give a portion of their money to the worshiping community they're a part of and to spend some of that money, quote, on oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink. Is that like scotch? I mean, I don't even know what that means. And then you shall eat there in the presence of the Lord, you and your household rejoicing together. In other words, Presbyterians, get your party on. Right? Like church just got a whole lot more interesting. Now, God's not saying to abuse alcohol. Of course not. Of course not. But he does command. It is a command. It is a command for us to celebrate. And not just when things are good either. As you know, my kids are swimmers, and my son recently just got times that qualify him to go to this giant 11-state swim meet in Hawaii called Zones. It's this really big deal, really big accomplishment. And I tell you that because it illustrates actually nothing. You just need to know. You just need to know. See, that is one of the perks of my job. Like, I don't need a bumper sticker to brag about my kid. I got a mic. You have to listen. Now, we're used to celebrating things like that, but in Nehemiah's setting, there's nothing to celebrate. Their city has been burned to the ground, the houses, the temple. It's in rubble. And it is in this context that Nehemiah says, get your party on. This is the last sermon in a series of seven, of seven habits that help us grow spiritually, relationally, and emotionally. And one of the things people who grow, one of the things they do is they celebrate. Now you may go, well, what good is celebrating? I mean, there's so much pain in the world, so much that needs to be done about it. What good is celebrating? Well, celebrating pushes back on the evil in the world because it says God is ruler yet, and I'm going to stand on that. I'm going to celebrate that. Sadness and sorrow, they kind of close us down. Shrink, we shrink down and stop taking risks, stop reaching out because of sadness and sorrow. That undermines growth. Celebration connects us with God and gives us hope and energy that helps us to take risks, and that promotes growth. Plus, you need to know this. When we face hard times, the devil is not trying to wreck your circumstances. He's trying to wreck your heart through your circumstances. So when we celebrate, we are saying to the devil, I deny you that victory. You do not get that victory. And celebration is infectious, so we spread joy to others. And celebration always involves at least a couple of things. And the first is this Thanksgiving. Now, I'm a little challenged on this. You can ask my family. You can ask the staff. I can be a half-glass-empty kind of a guy. So I've never liked it when I hear preachers talk about Thanksgiving, you know, especially if they say cheesy things like, have an attitude of gratitude. You have an attitude of gratitude. I'm grouchy. You know, and I'm going to stay that way. But biblically speaking, celebration, Thanksgiving, joy, it's not a matter of just putting on a happy face. In Nehemiah, after the people celebrated, it says, they found written in the law that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. And what's that re that, what that's referring to is what's called the Feast of Booths, where the Israelites lived in tents for seven days as a reminder of their time in the wilderness when they were escaping from slavery in Egypt. It's also a harvest celebration where they gave thanks for everything that God had given them in the harvest, you know, by, by living outside in tents for seven days. Think of it as kind of a week-long tailgate party where they gave thanks to what God was doing in their lives. And Thanksgiving is so important because when we give thanks, we are reminding ourselves that life is never 100% awful. Okay, 99% awful, that's the upper limit. But life is never 100% awful. It's usually 50-50 or better. That's why some of the most joyous celebrations I've seen have been in places of poverty and genocide like Rwanda. And yet their celebrations are filled with dancing and joy and shouting. They do better than we do because they understand no matter how bad life gets, there's always at least some good thing. 
a friend, a family member, the fact that God loves us. You find what you're looking for. So if you go through your life combing for the negative, you're going to find it. But if you look for some positive things, you're going to find them too. So what are you grateful for? In a minute, I'm actually going to ask you to shout or say out loud a word or a phrase, something that you're grateful for. I'm going to ask you to do that in a minute out loud. And I just need to warn you before we do that. I used to teach university students, so I'm used to asking questions and hearing nothing but crickets. I can outlast any silence. So you might as well just decide right now that you're going to take one for the team, say something out loud. Otherwise, that six-hour sermon, it's going to be yours, okay? We'll just be here all day. But I'm going to get us started, okay? I'm going to go first. Here's some stuff I'm grateful for. I am grateful that I was born into a family that is most accurately described as redneck hicks from the sticks. But they loved me, and they kept me humble through all my fancy pants education. I am very grateful for my wife and for my kids. I'm grateful when I wake up early and realize I still have a couple more hours to sleep. I love that feeling. I'm grateful that I was born after the invention of movies. Those poor people who didn't get movies, that's just a loss. I'm grateful that last week after my joke about homemade chocolate chip cookies, five of you made me batches of cookies. I mean, there was a run on QFC on, on chocolate chips. I mean, I, I mean, we were inundated with chocolate chip cookies in my house. My kids even got a few. It was great. <laughs> I am very grateful to be one of your pastors. And in my best days, I am grateful that God loved a sinner like me enough to die for me. Now, say it out loud. Say it proud. What are some things you're grateful for? A couple guys are saying my wife really loudly to get points. <laughs> I just love, I can't even pick everything out, but I just love the murmur of Thanksgiving. Because the more I make a list like that, the better I begin to feel. Because I see that there is always something good in my life. As I alluded to earlier, I have JDD, Joy Deficit Disorder. And the first week that we moved here from California, I was complaining. I didn't yet know how wonderful it was going to be here. And, and, and I was this first week, and two friends actually flew up from California to be with me to help me make the transition. So really good friends. And I was driving them into Seattle on I-90 to show them the city, and I was complaining. Right? Like, why did I move here? It rains here all the time, even though that day was sunny. And I miss my friends in California, and I'm going to fall flat on my face in this job. Kind of on and on and on. And, and right then, we drove around that corner on I-90. You know where you sudden, that corner where you suddenly see the city? And it was one of those clear, cold, perfectly cloudless days. Sky blue, sun bouncing off the sound. The Olympics covered in snow, looking like they're only 10 feet away. Okay, I was mid-rant. And we went around that corner and I just said, oh, never mind. <laughs> and my friend said, yeah, we can see how awful it is here. <laughs> Thanksgiving reminds us that life is never 100% awful. Second part of celebrating is to rejoice in the Lord. Now, rejoicing is similar to celebrating, not, not really a lot of difference, but rejoicing has a particular focus. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is your strength. He doesn't say the joy of your circumstances. The joy of the Lord. And as I've shared before, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a because of feeling. Because of the promotion, because I got the chocolate chip cookies, I'm happy. Right? Joy is in spite of. In spite of what's hard right now, I have joy grounded in the character of Jesus. 
He loves me. He's making all things new. He'll use even hard times for good. Now, there is a time to grieve and to mourn, absolutely. Sometimes it's so deep we need a counselor to help us through that. But even in those times, God commands the spiritual discipline of celebrating. In fact, in the Bible, he commands six feasts and only one fast, six to one ratio. And it's, but we're not, it's not in our circumstances. We rejoice in the character of Jesus, who was raised from the dead to show us that he's the one that makes dead things come back to life, which is ultimately what the story of Nehemiah is all about. Babylonians destroyed everything, but God is rebuilding their city, their community, their faith, in the same way that God rebuilds lives that have been wrecked by sin or hardship or betrayal or whatever it is. As I've been sharing with you, I've, I've lost, over the last couple of months, I've lost two mentors, two really important mentors of mine in the space of just two months. And, and thank you guys for letting me kind of process this out loud. And, but I've also, as I've shared, seen Jesus through all of it. My mentor of 35 years, Steve, hours before his death from cancer, he was cracking jokes. Like he decided that day to wear a sweater that had the word finale written across it. He said, that's a good sweater for today, don't you think? I and mean, he was just had, making jokes on his deathbed. They were reviewing his memorial service, and it got to the part in the service where there would be some prayers. He turned to the guy who was going to do the prayers, and he said, now about that, don't make them boring. The guy said, I had to choose to believe that he didn't mean all my prayers were boring, just especially don't be boring then. In his blog, Steve talked a lot about the joy he found even as he battled cancer. In November, this is what he wrote. I've seen that when Jesus is all you have, you soon discover that Jesus is all you really need. We look to our families, jobs, health for happiness, but only in Jesus will we find life with a capital L, abundant life heavenly life, which we experience now on this earth and will last forever. I'm in the process of losing everything that I've known on this earth, but I'm seeing again that joy is not about my circumstances, but about being held and sustained by God's love, and nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. I was reminded of this on Halloween when a trick-or-treater who was about eight years old and was dressed like a sheep came to our door. Surrounded by a flock of siblings who were also dressed as sheep, he blurted out that they knew that I was sick and that they'd been praying for me. I said, thank you. And then with big, sincere eyes, this eight-year-old smiled at me, and he said, heaven is going to be wonderful, you know. And all I could think to say was, it already is. In the face of death, he rejoiced in the character of his Savior and lived the heavenly life even now. That's why he could sincerely sign every text, every email, joyfully, Steve. That's why the bulletin at his memorial meant sure to write that word joyfully across it because it was so much of who he was. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, rejoice in the Lord, not circumstances, in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. It's a command. I recently read about a small town in Minnesota where they hold turtle races every Wednesday night in the summer. And they have food booths. I wonder if they sell turtle soup. Probably not. I don't I know, that was terrible. I'm sorry if you love turtles. And, and, they, and they have booths that sell turtle products, whatever that would be, like turtle wax, I guess. I don't know. And the announcer is named Biff. I kid you not, Biff. And then Biff yells, go, and the people jump, and they wave their hands in the air, and they implore their turtles to be unturtle-like and go. And the crowd just goes crazy with excitement. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's Minnesota. 
They don't have anything else to do. But you have to remember these people are Norwegians and Swedes, not the most ecstatic people on the planet, right? That's not what that culture is known for. And yet they're, they're jumping up and down, which is a great example of, of the fact that there's always something to celebrate. Okay, if they can celebrate turtles, surely there's something in your life worth jumping up and down about. You know, let alone the fact that we belong to the God of the universe who loves us very much and makes all things new. The 19th century Charles Spur uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon was once training one of his students, who was a very, very serious young man, training this guy how to preach, and finally Spurgeon had had enough, and he said, Mr. Jones, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. When you speak of hell, your everyday face will do. <laughs> Thanksgiving. Rejoice in the character of Jesus, and finally know that when you do those things, you are engaging in defiant celebration. Defiant. Because you see, when Nehemiah says, the, strong, the uh, exhilaration of Yahweh is the stronghold of you. Stronghold is an image of war, of battle, of defiance, of resistance. That's when we celebrate, that's what we are doing to the devil, defying and resisting what, the evil in our world. Let me use an analogy, an analogy that might feel a little weird, out of, kind of out of place in church, but like the Old Testament prophets, I want to use something a little bit odd to make a point, to make a point about how strong celebration is. Let's say, metaphorically speaking, your life is like driving down 405 in heavy traffic, metaphorically speaking, okay? And let's say, metaphorically speaking, the devil cuts you off. And let's say in that moment, you metaphorically give a hand gesture to indicate your displeasure, okay? Not that you ever would, not that you ever have. No, of course not. You're good church-going people, but just say you did, when we celebrate, trying to make a point here, when we celebrate, especially in the face of difficulties, that's what we're doing to the devil. Now, there are other ways we push back on evil. Of course, we, 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 we serve and care for people who are hurting and all of that. But also we celebrate, which is a way of giving the devil a particular hand gesture to let us know we're not paying any attention to him. It is defiant. It is subversive. It's saying, I know you're trying to wreck my heart. I deny you that victory. Things may be hard. Things may be bad. Nevertheless, Jesus my, is my Lord, and he is making all things new. Therefore, I will rejoice. So as we come to the end of this series on how we grow, I'm going to invite you to do something. There are bookmarks in your bulletin that list all seven habits that we've talked about in this series. And if you want to review those, you can go online, watch, or read those sermons again. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick one. Just one, you overachieving Eastsiders, just one of those habits to practice between now and Easter. We're in Lent. That's the 40 days before Easter. And a lot of people in Lent give something up, like chocolate. You can also add something positive. So maybe add one of these habits. But then I want you to do one other thing. Every Sunday, at least, at minimum, every Sunday, do the last one on that list. And that is to celebrate. You know, during Lent, a lot of people give stuff up, as I said, as a reminder that we are trying to remind ourselves that we are all messed up sinners, and so we're, we're being penitent, we give something up. That's part of Lent. But did you know, some of you know this, that Sundays in Lent are feast days. So whatever you gave up for Lent, you can have on Sundays. Now, whenever I say that, people always think it's some kind of loophole, right? Or like, no, you're cheating. No, no, right? Because see, Puritanism, which is the nagging suspicion that someone somewhere is having fun, right? it's alive and well and among us. So no offense, but if you think it's cheating to do feast days on Sundays, no offense, but that's terrible theology. Terrible theology. Because you see, every Sunday, even in Lent, is a mini Easter 
where we celebrate that, yes, sin and death are real, but Jesus conquered them through his resurrection. It is not a loophole. It is part of Lent. It is inappropriate to do penance and to fast on a feast day when we celebrate the making new of all things through Jesus Christ. So let's say if you gave up chocolate for Lent, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today and eat a chocolate cake, okay? And then follow it up with some chocolate milk, okay? And then finish the whole thing off with a Snickers, all right? Otherwise, you're sinning, okay? Kind of exaggerating, but you kind of get the point. Pick one of the habits to do between now and Easter, but then every Sunday, celebrate. Do things that bring you joy. Be with the people that give you joy. Whether you want to or not, as your pastor, I command you to have fun, okay? Even if it makes you miserable. A friend of mine who's a pastor was invited to be part of a prayer service with a family whose eight-year-old boy named Henry wanted to invite Jesus in his heart and wanted to do that with the pastor there. Henry was a little more mature than most uh, eight-year-olds because he had spent most of his life helping to care for his sister who had cerebral palsy and was confined in a wheelchair. In fact, that family had had a really hard go of it. They'd lost their first child. Then they had a child with cerebral palsy who almost didn't live. Then they were told that they'd never have kids again. And then nine years later, their miracle baby, Henry, was born. And maybe some of you have noticed that people who suffer, there's often a depth of, of wisdom and compassion. It's part of how God uses bad things for good things. And in Henry and his family, there was a joy and a compassion that, and that, that comes from walking through pain together. And as Henry shared about his life and how he loved his little sister, how much he loved her, or his big sister, how much he loved her, there was, just, there was not a dry eye in the house. And they prayed with him, and Henry asked Jesus into his heart, be his leader, his forgiver. And when they were done, his dad said, well, Henry, now that you're a Christian, what do you want to do? And my friend thought for a minute, Henry might say, I'm going to Disneyland. But, but instead, Henry put his hands in the air, and he said, I want to party till I drop. <laughs> Good theology from an eight-year-old. In spite of the hardships they faced, Henry was saying, but God is good all the time. When I don't understand, I will choose to believe that. And he makes all things new, including me, so I'm going to rejoice. One of my favorite Christmas songs was written just a few years ago, and it's called Joy. And one of the verses says this, so light the winds of fire and watch as the flames grow higher. Great image of the Holy Spirit. We'll gather up our fears and face down all the coming years and all that they destroy. And in their face, we throw our joy, joy, joy. You see, there are few things the devil fears more than your joy. So in the face of it all, the highlights, the lowlights, the hard times, the losses, the struggles, the doubt, the pain, in the face of it all, we throw our joy, joy, defiant, celebrative, you can't stop God's plan for me, joy. And devil, if you don't like it, I really don't care. Because I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is making all things new. The joy of Yahweh is the stronghold of me. And devil, there is not a damn thing literally you can do about it. Therefore, I will rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice, because Jesus is king. So Jesus, you are king, and you can give us joy beyond our circumstances, beyond what we face. We ask you to do that miracle. And Lord, help us to find our joy in you. This is something we cannot do on our own. But Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can celebrate so that we can grow into the people you came to make us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.